So last Sunday, we kicked off our summer series in the book of Psalms. And we recognize the Psalms are important to us as believers because they shape our worship. And as they shape our worship, they shape our hearts. And as our hearts are shaped, it influences the way we live our lives and the ways that we parent and spend our money and work in our jobs. And as we saw last week, even the ways we engage culturally and politically. Worship shapes all of life. What you worship will dictate how you live. And so the Psalms are important to our lives as Christians because we recognize the importance of worship. And here's one of the things that characterizes the Psalms. Honesty. The Psalms are honest in the worship. It's not just sentimental and shallow worship. Rather, it is hard-fought, hard-won worship and praise because the praise that we find in the Psalms exists alongside lament of the 150 Psalms. Depending on how you count, 65 to 67 of them are lament. The largest sort of subcategory in the entire book of Psalms is lament. There are more lament psalms than any other type. That should tell us something. That should tell us something about the nature of worship and praise. It doesn't exist independently of lament. It exists alongside lament, and in many ways, lament is part of our worship as believers We recognize the pain and suffering in this world, and we give voice to it. Here's what theologian D.A. Carson says. He says, There is no attempt in Scripture to whitewash the anguish of God's people when they undergo suffering. They argue with God. They complain to God. They weep before God. Theirs is not a faith that leads to dry-eyed stoicism, but to a faith so robust it wrestles with God. So last week we considered how psalms shape our cultural and political engagement. And one of the things that I highlighted was lament is part of that. And so I want to build off that theme and look a little bit more closely at this category of lament and how lament should be shaping our worship. Because most psalms of lament are lamenting injustice. And by lamenting injustice, it allows us to be honest about the sin and suffering and injustice in our world. Look, church, brothers and sisters in Christ, we should be the most honest people about the injustice in our world because we recognize just how bad the problem is, and we also recognize the only hope for injustice and suffering in our world. And that's what the Psalms lead us to. They lead us to an honesty about injustice. And what a time to be honest about injustice. Not that injustice has only been taking place in the last month or so, but there's a certain fevered pitch and intensity that the past month has shown us and really is in many ways a carrying over of probably the past four or five, six years where there has been outcry after outcry after outcry over the injustice in our society. There's many voices making claims about what injustice is and what it looks like and how to resolve it. And all of those things are important conversations But as I said last week, for us as the people of God, what's going to shape our voice? What's going to shape our time? What's going to shape our beliefs and our ideas and our emotions and our actions? Is it going to be the news media and social media or God's word? This is where the category of lament, psalm-shaped lament, God's word-shaped lament becomes so important for us because it shapes us. It allows us to be honest about injustice, 
but it also equips us to enter into the injustice and the sin and the suffering of our world with gospel light and kingdom power. So lament is an incredibly important category for us as we think about what it means to navigate this time in our nation. And so I want to unpack from Psalm 10 some categories of lament and how those categories are meant to shape us. So three things for us. First is an honest cry. The second is an honest assessment. And third is honest hope. So honest cry, honest assessment, and honest hope. And so David opens Psalm 10 with an honest cry. It says, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? You see, lament begins with a sense of disorientation. Things are not as they should be. There is pain, there is suffering. There are expectations that I had that have not been met. And when that pain, that suffering gets so great, when those expectations not being met, the disappointment grows, it disorients us and it should lead us to crying out to God, why? Where are you, God? Why is this happening? What's, what's going on? I wonder, do you honestly cry that way? Or are you too spiritual to do that? Do you have moments of honest cry to the Lord? Or, or, or are you too buttoned up and, and too faith-filled to ever have a moment of doubt and pain and angst about the brokenness in our world? Do you ever cry to the Lord, Lord, why does it seem when we need you most, you seem to not show up? Why does it seem where the injustice is the worst in our world, you seem to be the furthest away? Have you ever wrestled with the injustice in our world? Has it ever upset you and bugged you inside? I'm not talking about have you just kind of sat and thought like in philosophy class and just pondered the nature of evil intellectually. I'm not asking if you just sat there and tried to figure out God's sovereignty and human responsibility and make sense of all this deep theology up here. Hey, as great as that is, I'm asking, have you ever wrestled in such a way that it brought you to tears, anger, frustration, emotional response at, hey, things are not right. Right. Things are not the way they should be. And God, why? Where are you? Have you been that honest? Have you lamented and have you cried out to the Lord? I mean, when you consider the injustice in our world, and I know some of you in this room, you give your life to facing down injustice. Whether it be as a police officer, whether it be in the military, whether it be in your job in the business world or the medical world, I mean, you you face all kinds of brokenness and suffering and, and aspects of injustice. So I know this is not just abstract for a lot of you. But for all of us, when we consider the injustice in our world, whether it's in front of our face or whether it's on the TV, do we ever cry? God, where are you with so much injustice? When we see people being subject to abuse and exploitation, when we see the poor being oppressed, when we see women and children being trafficked, when we see babies being aborted, when we see the elderly being neglected, when we see systems of racism and we see political and judicial oppression and corruption, does that not bother us? 
Does that not upset us? Does it not lead us to cry, how God, where are you? Here is the truth about lament. Here's the importance of lament. Lament starts with an honest cry because such honesty opens us up to the reality of sin and suffering in our world. It makes us sensitive to injustice. Friends, where there's no lament, we begin to become numb to injustice. We begin to minimize and downplay it. And could this not be a reason why, one of the reasons why, that in the evangelical church we struggle to enter into the suffering and injustice of our world? Could it be because we lack a language of lament, We've been, we lack being shaped in lament, is the reason why we struggle in stiff arm to enter in and even acknowledge how bad the problem is? Like if you look at the top 100 worship songs, so these are the, the 100 worship songs most sung in churches, and if you trace that over the past 30 years, here's what you're going to find. Three of them involve some sort of lament. And of those three, lament is, is pushing it a bit. It's stretching it a bit. There might be some language of lament, but it moves on pretty quickly to the joy and the praise. If you look at the worship language of the evangelical church, it is sorely lacking lament. Could this not be one of the reasons, church, that what happens when we see injustice, when we're faced with injustice, that we're so quick to go, oh, it's not that bad. Oh, we've made so much progress. Let's just focus on the good. Oh, oh it really isn't that bad. We, 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 can, we don't want to be victims here. And look, to whatever degree there's truth in some of those statements, let's be honest that that's just dodging and deflecting. We, we want a stiff arm injustice. It makes us uncomfortable. It should make us uncomfortable. The disorienting feeling but rather than it leading us to an honest cry and lament, we too often minimize. In First City Church, we need to be honest about how we have done this. In what ways have we been shaped by a lack of lament, both personally and as a church? I've been putting, putting together this sermon and reading through these psalms, and, and it's psalm after psalm after psalm of lament. As, as a pastor, as one who shapes this time, made me recognize, wow, Am I leading us in lament? Am I exercising lament enough? And to what detriment in our church? In what ways have we been hollowed out spiritually and in our worship because we've not been lamenting? Psalm 10 calls us to lament, full, open, raw, biblical lament that frees us to be honest about and sensitive to injustice. And then when that reality becomes disorienting to us, we cry out to our God. We don't deny, we don't deflect, we don't minimize, we cry out to the Lord. We direct our questions, we direct our pains, we direct our frustrations, and, and, the, and the confusion that we feel, we direct that to the Lord. Here's what we see in Psalm 10. That cry is to the Lord. It's not running away from God, it's running to God. To express this kind of question, this kind of pain, is not a lack of faith. No, it's showing faith. It's showing that God is big, and he cares, and he is personal, and you can go to him, and he's not insecure with your doubts and your confusion. He can take it. He invites it. The language is here for us, church, 
God puts it here to invite us, lament, bring those questions, bring that angst, bring that pain, bring that wondering, bring it to me, cry out to me, move toward me in that. And so crying out in honesty is a move of faith towards the Lord. Lament frees us to be honest and lament moves us towards God. That's why an honest cry is so, so important to us. And so let us be people who lament by crying out to our God and bringing that pain, bringing those questions, bringing that angst. So an honest cry. Second is an honest assessment. Along with the honest cry, lament includes an honest assessment of the problem. In verses 2 through 6, David gets to the heart of oppression. He writes, In arrogance the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised, for the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. Why does injustice exist? Why are, those, are there people who oppress another group of people? Well, simply put, pride. Injustice is the outflowing of pride. David says it is in pride and arrogance. That is what causes the wicked to pursue the poor. Pride causes the wicked to boast of his desires. I'm going to get what I want, and no one is going to stop me from getting it. I'm going to get what I want, and I will step on and use whoever I have to. That's pride. In pride, the wicked puff. They, they, they sort of buck up against anyone who, who would try to stop them, anyone who would oppose them, anyone who would say, hey, your day's coming. They mock that. It's pride. Pride is underneath the problem of oppression. And, and it's not just as if the pride is towards other people. At the root of this pride and this arrogance is ultimately rebellion against God. The wicked, the one greedy for gain, what does he do? curses and renounces the Lord. He doesn't seek the Lord. In fact, with his words, with his actions, with his beliefs, he says, there is no God. And then in verse 13, it states, the wicked believes God isn't even going to judge them. Like, they believe, I'm going to get away with this because there is no God, or if there is, he's so far removed that I can do what I want with no cost or consequence. This is the root of oppression and the problem, rebellion against God. This is the fruits of that first sin back in the garden when Adam and Eve decided, hey, we're going to be God. We're going to dictate what is good and evil. We're going to determine what is truth. We're going to live by our own set of standards. We're going to create and construct our own reality. God, we don't need you to tell us what to do. We don't need you to set the standard. We don't need you to decide how to live our lives. We got this. Yeah, all we got was a world full of oppression, not freedom. This is the root of the problem. This is, this is where lament leads us, to this honest, down to the core, to rock bottom foundation of the problem, pride and rebellion against God. Oh, we talk about needing education. We talk about needing better politics. We talk about being more civil. We talk about all these, these things that, yeah, in some ways are good, but they only skim the surface. They only skim the surface. And when 
our hearts are given over to rebellion. When, when our hearts are in rebellion against God and there's pride towards others, intentional injustice is what takes place. As David exposes in verses 7 through 10, the wicked's mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and, in, and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. Notice what the language here. Deceit, mischief, sitting in ambush, stealthily watching. This is a picture of carefully crafted design. Oppression and injustice aren't accidental. They didn't just happen. We didn't just fall into it. Oops, I'm oppressing you. No, it is intentional, purposeful, and deliberate. And such intentional impression, oppression is often done with a veneer of deceit. We're trying to hide exactly what's going on. Not this obvious, hey, look it, I'm going to oppress you. No, I'm going to actually try to get you to believe that I'm not. And actually act in a way that, hey, I'm for your good, but really... I'm acting to control you and oppress you and take advantage of you and use and manipulate you. This is what happens when we give full fruits to our pride and our rebellion, intentional, intentional, deliberate oppression. And so when we lament injustice, when we call to lament, it means that we lament in all honesty of the problem. We, we look at it full on in the face and say, hey, this is a spiritual problem. Our problem is ultimately not with each other, it's with God. The, the, the sin that we ultimately commit, yeah, we sin against each other, but ultimately we're sinning against God. It's before the Lord that we perform injustice. And, and so for us to lament, for us to be honest, is to, to acknowledge that this problem goes beyond just political solutions or economic solutions or cultural solutions. And being honest, we recognize that all of our systems are shot through with sin, and we lament that. And so here, here's just three quick ways that I want to I apply this honesty of assessment for us. Uh, the, the first thing that honesty of assessment leads us into is, is that we recognize that because injustice involves pride and plotting and purposefulness and deception, we should not be surprised when injustice dies hard, when it doesn't just go away through our political and economic and cultural solutions, but actually hangs around and continues to infect things. I mean, just consider the history of our nation. Look, we fought a civil war to end slavery, and yet racial oppression still exists. Look, the pro-life party has been in power since Roe v. Wade, has, been, has had more presidents, has had control of Congress longer, has appointed more Supreme Court justices, and yet babies are still aborted. We have more economic and educational opportunity and freedom than we've ever had, and yet the disparity between the rich and the poor continues to grow. Look, injustice is pernicious. It sticks around. It does not let go because it lives in our hearts. And so when we think about injustice, when we lament injustice, we can't be just lamenting the surface. 
We have to be lamenting the ways that it digs deep, 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 deep down into our systems and our society. And we need to be broken over that and humble over that. Second, being honest in our assessment means that injustice isn't bound to a particular political party. As I said last week, civil, the civil religion of our nation is politics. And boy, do we have the true believers and the heretics. We, we carve that line right down the lines of political parties. But here's the truth that as people of God, as sons and daughters of God, as people who belong to Jesus the King, we recognize that injustice exists in all political parties. And so when we lament injustice, when we are broken over injustice, we're not partisan about it. Oh, we don't just go, oh, those Republicans over there, or those Democrats over there, or those socialists over there, or those libertarians over there, or whatever party you belong to. No, injustice is an equal opportunity sin. So there's no partisan here. In our lamenting, to honestly lament means that we don't protect political party or political leaders. No, when we see injustice, when we see rebellion, we call it out. We name it. We lament it. We're broken over it. Third, honesty in our assessment means we are honest about ourselves. It's not just that we lament injustice out there. It's not that we just lament injustice for all those people who don't know the Lord. Look, in the context of Psalm 10, you know who David is observing? All this injustice is taking place, where that's happening? In Israel. Among the people of God, his own people. He's calling out his own people. He's lamenting his own people. David recognizes the people of God need to own this. Well, we lament for ourselves because we, too, have been per- perpetrators of injustice. Is this not true? Yes, we have experienced it ourselves. We have been victims of it, but we've also perpetrated it. How often have we used and manipulated others or exploited others? And I'm not talking about necessarily being part of a system that does that, but just individually we do this. How often have we been guilty of things like abuse? How often do we perpetuate injustice among other people? Oh, we need to be honest. We need to be honest. We need to lament our own sin. We need to lament the ways that we are part of the problem as well. So lamenting and honesty should lead us to be broken and repentant of the sin in our world, the sin in our systems, the sin in all of our our cultural and political and economic uh, systems, and lament our own sin. This is what it means to be honest. So honest cry, honest assessment, but this leads us to honest hope. Proper lament will always lead us to hope. Scripture gives us laments, not dirges. See, a dirge is a somber, mourning song that you often hear at a funeral. It's sad, and it's an appropriate song at a funeral, but here's where it ends. It ends on a down note. It ends in lament and sort of leaves you there. The laments of Scripture, 
They walk us through pain, raw, honest, deep pain, and it often leaves us there for a long time to wrestle with that and be honest about it. But it ultimately leads us through the cry, through the assessment. We come to this conclusion. There's incredible hope. There is always hope. David's honest cry leads to his confident cry in trusting the Lord. Here's what he declares in verses 12 through 15. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. David honestly assesses the problem. He recognizes the magnitude of injustice and the depth of pride and rebellion behind it. And he cries out to the Lord. He says, Lord, you have to act. If anything is going to be done, it's, our hope is not in ourselves and our own ability to fix the problem. No, we're going to cry out to you, Lord, you have to act. If injustice is going to be done away with, if righteousness is going to reign, if salvation is going to come, you must act. Lord, arise. This is where David comes to, through all that pain, all that crying out, he comes to this place of hope. You see, in all his lamenting, in all his crying out with his questions, and his angst, and his pain, and his uncertainty, in him being honest about the problem, here's what happens with David. He experiences the Lord. He experiences the presence of God. He experiences the comfort of God and the righteousness of God and the love of God and the holiness of God. He has a living, breathing relationship with God. And in all of that wrestle of lament, God shows himself faithful to David. David just doesn't have this idea of God. He actually has an experience of God. This is what happens when we lament. We experience the Lord. We know him personally, intimately, closely. As a father, as we sang about, as a God who loves righteousness, who rescues and redeems, could, could it be that we're missing out on intimacy with God because we do not lament? We do not go to God in such honesty. And for David, that honesty, that, that knowing God brought a confidence where he could actually call out God. See, when he says, Arise, O Lord, Oh God, lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. It's not because God needs to be reminded. Right. It's not as if God sort of is, oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, injustice, I forgot about that. Or, or, oh sorry, I was over here doing something else and didn't notice. No, no, David is not cause, calling God to arise because God is neglectful and not around. No, he's doing this as an act of faith because he knows the Lord. He's saying, God, be God. Right. God, I know who you are. I know who you, you are faithful. I know you are righteous. And so exercise that righteousness in the world. Be who you are. He's crying out for God to make himself known, to display his power and his righteousness. This is a cry of faith. It's a cry of hope. He knows that God is a God of righteousness. He knows, David knows when God flexes, righteousness reigns. And so he wants to see the Lord do that. This is the same cry of, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. David is crying out to the Lord because he knows who the Lord is. 
Oh, that we would cry out to God because we know who God is, because we've experienced him. And for David, crying out to God, just like over and over and over in Scripture, he's taking God at his word. God invites his people, hey, call to me. Call me out. Call me to be who I am. Call me to righteousness and justice. Because what that that shows, it shows faith. Like when everything around us seems to show injustice and injustice is going to win, when we cry out to the Lord in spite of that, when we cry out to the Lord not sure of what he's going to do, but yet we still cry in faith, that shows we trust him. And God responds to that. God invites that. God draws nears to us in that. So David didn't know exactly how God was going to move. David didn't necessarily think, okay, I'm going to pray this prayer, snap my fingers, and everything is going to be okay. In spite of that uncertainty, he still cried out to the Lord. He still put his faith in the Lord. He still trusted in the Lord. He still had this expectation that God is good. And here's where he ends. This is the praise. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. It may not be right now, but you will, God. It may not come when I want it to come. The timing may not be exactly when I think it should be, but it will happen. And Lord, I trust that you're going to do that because you are a God who cares for the afflicted. You are a God who takes care of the fatherless. That is who you are. That is in your nature. So I can confidently declare, this is what you will do. A lament starts with a question, starts with disorientation, uncertainty, leads to confidence because David knows who God is. And for us, the same. Our lament, our honest assessment also leads to this honest hope. We have every confidence that God sees injustice and affliction. He hears the desire of the afflicted, that he has inclined his ear to do justice. And this is not because he has ended all injustice in finality. It's not because he always does what we want when we want it. No, we have the confidence of David. Why? Because God sent Jesus. There's our hope. There's our answer. There's the, God, do you care? God, where are you? God, are you going to do anything about the injustice in the world? Here's his answer. Jesus. He sent Jesus. I love the way that Pastor Tim Keller expresses how the gospel answers our questions. And I've, I've quoted this before, but I think it bears repeating. Keller writes this, Christianity alone among the world, world religions claims that God became uniquely and fully human in Jesus Christ and therefore knows firsthand despair, rejection, loneliness, poverty, bereavement, torture, and imprisonment. In his death, God suffers in love identifying with the abandoned and God-forsaken. Why did he do it? The Bible says that Jesus came on a rescue mission for creation. He had to pay for our sins so that someday he can end evil and suffering without ending us. If we again ask the question, why does God allow evil and suffering to continue? And we look at the cross of Jesus, we still do not know what the answer is. However, 
we now know what the answer isn't. It can't be that he doesn't love us. It can't be that he is indifferent or detached from our condition. God takes our misery and suffering so seriously that he was willing to take it on himself. Our lament always leads to hope because Jesus Christ stepped into our world and he took on our sin and our suffering and he died in our place. He took the judgment of God on injustice on himself so that you and I can be forgiven for our injustice. We can be set free to walk in righteousness. And in the resurrection of Christ, evil was defeated, injustice was defeated. And when he comes back, he's going to restore all things. So whatever questions you may have in your laments, whatever wrestles, whatever uncertainties you may have, you may not find all the answers, but here is what it doesn't mean, that God is indifferent. God does not love us. Look to Jesus and see God's answer to sin and suffering and justice. See, his answer is dealt with, judged, salvation, renewal, resurrection. That's our hope, church. That's why our lament leads to hope. And so, friends, as we are shaped as people of lament, as we learn to cry out in honest wrestle, here's what's going to happen. We're going to grow more and more sensitive to the injustice in our world. And we're going to grow more and more tired of sin, tired of our own sin. Like, do you ever wake up and just say, God, please just get me out of this body of death. Just free me. I'm tired of it. Do you ever look at the world and engage the world and, and get in the mess of the world enough where you're just like, God, just end it, please. Save us, rescue us. Like, like that, that sensitivity we need to have, that, that sensitivity, that brokenness, that comes as we lament. Because the more we lament, the more we're sensitive. And the more we long for and cry out for the kingdom of God. And so lament makes us sensitive. And the more we lament, the more we're honest about the assessment, the more we recognize that this, there is no way we're saving ourselves. There's no way we're going to vote ourselves out of this or come up with an economic policy out of this or culturally work our way out of this. The only way this is changing is by the kingdom of God advancing. Amen. And so as we lament, we long for the kingdom. We are shaped by the kingdom. We put our hope in the kingdom. We declare the gospel because we want the kingdom to advance. And then as we lament, we're shaped, our hearts are shaped like our Father. You see, our Father hears the cry of the afflicted. He comforts the fatherless. He cares about injustice. And as we lament and we're shaped, we're shaped as those who care about injustice in our society. We're not indifferent. We don't minimize. No, we care deeply. We care deeply because our Father cares deeply. And so our love, our service, our action is built on the fact that that's who our God is. And we want to declare who our God is. We want to be like our God in righteousness, in godliness, in love, in justice, in service. And so lament shapes us and makes us like our Father. And so church, as we continue to navigate life in this Society and this culture and this nation, 
as we continue to see the injustice in our world because it's not going away until Jesus comes back. May we be people who are shaped by lament. May, may we honestly cry out to our God. May we always be honest about how broken and how deep the problem is. But may we always, always, always be honest about the hope we have in Jesus Christ, the salvation that is in him, and the redemption renewal that he is bringing when he returns. May that be what shapes our heart. Amen? Let's pray.